Hello. Hello. That's cute. I like that. <laughs> is everyone with me? Everyone's with you. Is everyone Hello. here? We're all, Hello. I'm here. Uh, we don't Hello, edit, Sean. So don't say anything you don't Sean. want us to, the world to know. Well, we Sean, are you edit. with me? We don't edit. Are you listening to me? We have. Pay attention to me. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> Tell me you love oh, me. He's so sad. He's being ignored. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Felicitations, bird nerds. I and the rest of the Foul Mouths crew are incredibly happy to present for your listening pleasure episode 09, which is actually the 10th episode of the series. Yay! This episode, and its incredibly auspicious episode number, cleverly disguised as one that is not, features an interview with Robin Ladouceur, conservationist, activist, friend of birds everywhere. We talked about everything from staying energized and positive in a world where the controlling political party is attempting to destroy the very planet itself to the small steps each one of us can take to change our planet for the better. As always, we talked birding tips and, of course, whether Robin believes in the continued elusive and reclusive existence of the ivory-billed woodpecker. So put down your eye cans for about an hour and enjoy the conversation. Okay. Okay. The Carolina pigeon. The Carolina the pigeon. The flesh of these birds is remarkably fine <laughs> when they are obtained young and in the proper season. Such birds become extremely fat, is this are all tender you're and juicy, in now? and in flavor equal in the estimation of some of my friends as well as in my own to that of the snipe or even the woodcock. But as taste in such matters depends much on circumstances and perhaps on the whim of individuals, I would advise you, reader, to try for yourself. <laughs> Eat a fucking morning dove. Is there a... <laughs> Tell us how it is. Is there a recipe for that? There is none. Wow. There is none. Audubon did not, he did not provide a recipe. Like if this I use Audubon fish broth. Yeah, Audubon was like heathen, oh, man. man. Should I, like, do I These use... These birds require good shooting to bring them down when, when on the shoot, wing. They're so they like... fly with great swiftness. It is seldom that more than one can be killed at a shot when they are flying, and rarely more than two or three when on the ground, on account of their natural propensity to keep apart. I'm going to use fish broth. Fish broth. Whole garlic cloves. I was like, so French. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be delicious. Let's mm. cook the whole damn thing. Carolina pigeon juice. Go to sleep. I let you just wring them out. It would be great. It, the juice fresh <laughs> in the morning. It would be cool if it was just like one quick regurge of crop milk to just add a little something to the stew. Mmm. <laughs> Well, the crab milk is just comes with the bird. You get that for free. Mm. <laughs> and this is what we do. Delicious. Welcome to the Great. podcast, Robin. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. Robin La Douceur. Yes. La Did I do Douceur. It? La Douceur. I wrote, it, I wrote it down on my computer so that I could uh, say it right. Um, it's a did you one. do it phonetically? I really did. It's spelled L A H D O O S I R. S I R. Led you, sir. Great. It worked yeah. well. Phonetic transliteration. So. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My Welcome mother. to the fucking podcast. <laughs> well, thanks. Robin. Yeah, Robin. Robin. Took, fucking Ladu, sir. It, it took yeah. like four, four or five weeks. 
that's probably a little over. No, over it did. The top, it did. There were we, there were many complications. Sadly, we're happy you're here. So. This is, this is our questionnaire for you. We have. A, I loved the questionnaire. Yeah. Well, I now you're on the spot because we started the questionnaire. We started recently trying to be uh, good at this. <laughs> and <laughs> actually trying and uh part of that uh includes um scott forcing a certain level of uh organization on us and i think we actually might have started with your questionnaire because it really? looks pretty nice so I, I was the first questionnaire it yeah. does it does yeah. and these are well-crafted questions well mm. you know i appreciate we've it. had time to would you like to read your own questions to yourself and then answer them? We can give <laughs> you a printout. We actually like won't have to do it. No, with a little whisper. With a little whisper. Oh, nice. Scott hates whispering. No, I love whispering. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, I'm really into it. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> ASMR. Are you into ASMR, Sean? No, I'm oh. not into ASMR. What is... Do you want me to get you a hairbrush? I don't You want... might be into it. Stop it. I'm, that's so <laughs> weird. It's so weird. It's so creepy. It is. It is. I, I tried to listen to something once. What was it? Was, it? it was like a, a sleep hypnosis that was ASMR. And yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. I have hard enough I don't enough find time. whispering soothing. No. I, no. I don't know many people who do. No, no, no. Agitated whispering. Like, what about, like, the slapping of the inside of someone's thigh over and over again? Like, what fucking freak show finds that normal, like, soothing? Yeah, there's all sorts of shit. You, that's what this is why I don't fuck with F- a, this this bullshit ASMR stuff because people get real fetishy with it and I it's super weird. <laughs> Do people slap each other during ASMR? I don't think no, that's I, part the of it. Sound of like uh, the repetitive sound of somebody slapping a thigh or some odd else. noise. Like people get real off on weird fucking noises. John, why why do you have to open the show with judgment? <laughs> I'm just saying. What if what if a significant portion of our listening base is really into ASMR? Well, mm. I mean, I guess see ya. I think my levels are <laughs> sorry. Are really to each low. our own. <laughs> Heather, where are you? Heather, I'm right are you here leaning the into the microphone. I am. I'm. I'm this? very leaned into it. And look at my waveform compared to everyone else's. Your waveform's so little. Yeah. Which one is mine? I can't you gotta lean in, Heather. Lean into it. You hate it. Heather hates it. I might have to shift this a little bit just because I feel slightly cornered you just by the start mic. Over. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, if you don't just feel make yourself comfortable. Oh, there we go. If I if you don't feel cornered by the mic, then it's not working. Okay. Sweet. Oh. We this should do how I all right, there we, go. we should do that again. I corner people with technology. Corner people with technology. I used to do that too. Are we all set with microphones? Yeah. I think so. Okay, let's like do it. I wasn't again. I wasn't able to bring that up before you started. Speaking of it, no editing. We're What's that? Gonna edit this time. Yeah. We're not going to edit we're, any of this. We're rolling. Okay. No. Here we go. So, <laughs> all right. Jesus Christ, we're the worst. <laughs> so we're gonna, let's just fucking dive in then because yep. we're uh, we're already babbling for 15 minutes. So we can um, edit that productive. part out. Yeah. About the, the shifting part yeah. that can go. Yeah. Yeah. But this this all stays. Okay. Cool. Well, let, then let's just fucking talk about conservation. Let's do it. Robin's hot. Robin's hot for conservation. Hot for conservation. Well, hot for conservation. It's yeah. true. It, it comes. It really comes out in everything that uh, you seem to be doing with your life these days. So let's talk about it. What? <laughs> yeah. What is everything that you're doing? What oh, are you doing? Okay. With your life. Well, where does it begin? I think we should start with who she is. We could. We're going to do that. Want to do? We're going to do that history. in the voiceover at the beginning. Mm. People already know. Who are you, Robin? 
Heather's running oh, the show today. Sorry, Heather. <laughs> I'm Robin Laduser. Uh I have been in New Haven for the past 24 years. I came here for grad school, Jeez. and I ended up staying uh, after grad school and bouncing around in a lot of different positions at Yale. And then my most recent port of call was at C-ClickFix. And now I like to describe myself as an independent agent. Um, which is my fun term for not working currently slash unemployed. Um, but <laughs> it has been a really productive unemployment because it has allowed me to focus on a ton of different conservation issues, which has been exciting. Yeah. So you don't lay on the couch watching Netflix? That's so weird. <laughs> um, Sounds like what my unemployment would be like. So. Yeah. There, there that's, is that's a fair what bit your of that. Employment's like too. <laughs> yes. There's, there's a fair bit of that. Um, certainly some, some Stranger Things, some Dark, some Queer Eye. Um, yeah. Those, those have been binged, uh, certainly. But <laughs> you're out of them. So yes, now it's I'm out of them. Which is sad because yeah, now, but it now it feels like I'm, I'm angling for a new series i uh, i remember when you made that decision because you posted it on on facebook, facebook and yes. you were just like i'm literally just gonna leave this position that i'm in yes and i the planet is in dire straits and i just this is i need to do this yes and i was just like holy shit that's awesome and terrifying terrifying and and word to the wise probably don't leave a job without having something lined up <laughs> um this is a funny lesson to learn at 48 it really depends but um no it's been it's ended up being really great and my commitment to keep seeking uh work within the environmental advocacy field it's there um and i feel like things are, are starting to gel but we'll have to see but yeah i think uh, in the past couple of years i've been feeling an increasing in Internal pressure to try to do something to the extent that I can do something when I know so many people feel uh, paralyzed, terrified, in crisis mode themselves, which unfortunately makes people turn away from the big looming elephant on the planet, which is climate change. Um, oh, I thought, I thought you were going to Trump. Say, yeah, I thought you were going <laughs> to say Donald Trump too. Yeah. Well, fitting. Yeah. Trump is a distraction from, mm -hmm. I think, the bigger issue, which is climate change. Um, and so that terror, despair, and um, and fear of the crisis that is, I don't, I don't describe it as a threat anymore because I really think it's the crisis that is, um, oh, yeah, has prompted sure. me to just try to do things here and there that I feel capable of doing. Of course, I would love to do more, but... Um, but this is what I can do. So what is it that you're doing? And that's a perfect segue. Yeah. Thank you for setting us up. Um, so it's, it's <laughs> We're varied just sit in, in the time. Quietly. Yeah. <laughs> it's varied in time. So it started, I think, a few years ago uh, with getting more into birding and then feeling like I wanted to help out with the osprey monitoring uh, along the coast mm. and then piping plover and least turn oyster catcher monitoring as well in mm. the summers. And last summer I did a huge amount of that. I was really excited about it. Tell me about, um, 
tell me about monitoring. Like, what does it mean? What does it mean to be an Osprey monitor? Osprey Nation, yes, yeah. Osprey Nation. Which um, <laughs> hashtag Osprey Nation? <laughs> yes, and uh, and it's it's organized mainly through um, a little consortium. But so you choose an Osprey platform. There's a huge network of Osprey platforms all along this area of coastal Connecticut, um, probably from I would say Milford over to Old Saybrook and beyond. Hmm. Uh, And you can choose a platform or you can choose a few platforms and you go every week or as often as you can and you write down um, observations. And the observations have to do with adults being on the nest um, and if you're noticing mating behavior, if you're noticing, if you can see, um, it depends on your angle, always with the binoculars, mm. uh, if there are eggs on the nest <laughs> mm. or um, and then chick activity as well. Yeah. Wow. So, so then you it? submit this onto a website and they use this kind of citizen crowdsourced data um, for, you know, future research, publications, et cetera. Mm. Where was your platform? My platform was in West Haven. And it was right across from Sandy Point, which is convenient because that is also where my piping plovers and oyster catchers and least terns were located. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I would just basically go there, stand with my binoculars and, you know, take my notes, check things out. Well, everybody there seemed to do pretty good this year. So Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's I was, great. I was there yesterday. It was really. Is they're still, hopping. The place is just hopping. Yeah, I love mm. it. What'd you get to see? Man, uh, there was a ton of uh, of laughing gulls moving. So oh, my, oh, nice. Migrations kicked in for sure, and so there was like a huge mo- movement of laughing gulls. It was like a, a steady wave, mm. sort of f- coming in from inland, and just all sort of landing right off of the beach. Um, and then there was just a ton of. Uh, it was all semi-palmated of plovers and pipers. Uh, love it. Yeah, it was pretty nice. It was there was a lot going on. It was uh, oh man, the best part. There was so many clapper rails out. I saw <gasps> oh. a clapper rail of every age. Uh, Sixteen. I've never seen one. Clapper rails. I can't believe it. There was tiny fuzzy black babies running <sighs> around and adults, and they're they're like literally. I saw so many out in the open. It was Sean, did you give up on texting us about things? I. It was like, it's all those momentary stuff. I'm so bad about texting anybody mm. about it. But they're out. Um, There's some resentment building on this side. <laughs> of the I can feel it. I yeah. can feel it. You have you're to surrounded go by it. at the right time. Yes. So if you're there by like mm, 4.30, 5 o'clock. A.M.? P.M. <laughs> that's PM, better. Like normal time. Okay. They're, that's like the, a good time. Feeding it, time pre Well, it's like, mm. it's like low tide. So mm-hmm. you're looking uh-huh. for the evening low, like, before the tide yep. starts coming in, when it gets real low, that's where right. you get the really delicious yeah. stuff. The delicious, it smells delicious tide. things are uncovered. It smells super good. It's so right? bad. Stank. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, but yeah. there was like there was a ton of cool, uh, cool activity going on in the flats in between. Mm. Yes. Oh, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. There was yeah. so many. I was really excited. That's exciting. Well, yeah. So that was pretty cool. We might have to abandon James some evening and <laughs> head down there. Oh, I guess we could bring him. We could bring our baby. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's so nice there. It's quiet in the evenings too. Yeah, and it's He'll like it's so smell. beautiful. Yeah, it's like three bucks. He'll probably eat what the clapper rails are eating. Right. Yeah, just throw them in the mud flats. He'll <laughs> yeah. be good. Oh, he'll love that. <laughs> Tidal yeah. flats. Roll around. Just hang out with some the barn mud. swallows and stuff. Oh, Snails. the barn swallows. Those yeah. are always fun to watch. Uh, yeah, they're the best. 
I like. So I really like it down there right now. It's super cool. It's Every, it's one of my favorite spots. Yeah. yeah. Everything's I, staging there. It's really it's really yeah. cool. So I feel like I haven't really taken advantage of that spot. You go with your parents, mm-hmm. but I'm usually working. And like, yeah, because I'm there with my folks, I'm not really birding either. Yeah. So I feel like mm-hmm. I also haven't mm-hmm. been able to. Really it look. It's, yeah. yeah, it's delicious birding actors yet, but right. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that goes on there. It's really good in fall migration mm. is the best time. Spring is a little slow, but fall migration is like a good Hopping. staging area. Mm-hmm. So summer through fall is amazing. And Godwits and Wimbrels are moving in right now. Ready turnstones. Yeah, the turnstones are so cool. Favorite. Yeah, mm. everything's in like odd plumage too. It's like some are molting, some haven't yeah. molted out of breeding plumage. Some are in full non-breeding. You're getting like every stage of sandpiper and plover. It's really mm. cool. You also have to get like really fucking good at yeah and, uh, to, for identification. Oh, it's so purposes. hard to do it. Like there's like a thousand semi-palmated sandpipers, like literally, and one western sandpiper. And good luck, <laughs> like if you want to find wow. it. So mm. yeah, but that's like Sandy Point right now is the best. I'm jealous that you get to like work with those little guys because that's super cool. The least turn babies are possibly the cutest things on earth. They're adorable. Cuter than piping plovers. Whoa, concerned. they're they're really really cute. Yeah, huh. yeah. Although I have to admit, there was I had a, a favorite piping plover. It was two e. There was just this piping two. plover close to the end of the spit, and she had this tag on her leg, and it was really high up. It was above, you know, kind of the the knee or the ankle and um big plastic and so i would check with my binoculars and took tons of photographs of all of the piping plovers and Hmm. their babies last year and 2e featured prominently when i was going back Hmm. through all of my footage and then the funny thing is is that she cropped up in an article uh through audubon connecticut that she had successfully migrated to bermuda and so they saw her there and they documented it and so i was really hoping i was going to get to see her this year back at sandy point i've not seen her but yeah oh that's great yeah i I love those data points it is a cool story like it is. I've been hearing some weird things about those plastic bands lately, that, mm. like saying that they've been they're they can cause like l- limb loss, um, and the birds they're banded on on occasion, yeah. stuff like that, oh, and no. that's a big concern with the shorebirds. So I've always, always wondered that. about that. Not a great that. thing. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, like, and it's also a piece of plastic that could just break off and then becomes part of the the yeah. ecosystem too. Right. And they're trying to make like there's arguments to, like the impact if it's like a one percent chance, like one percent of the banded population causes detrimental impact in wow. some way yeah that it's like an acceptable like risk to assume in the de- for the data that we're collecting so it's a tough those are like tough things to talk that people are starting to talk about mm. now because suddenly it fucking matters like, right like oh are our banding projects worth what like, the waste that goes out or the lives the, the lives lost of you know species that are already critically endangered collateral damage mm-hmm. yeah collateral right, damage nice. gotta take yeah. the hill well, if they so, would only wear like ID bracelets, like we wouldn't have this problem. Put this backpack right. on, man. Yeah. It's fine. It's, and then we can get some some hipsters to like whittle some wooden bands so some that they don't bands. have to. Yeah, we don't have to put plastic out there. Out of super dense woods. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's hard sustainable to get those on. wood. Sustainable. Yes. Yeah. Bamboo. Yeah. Could be, exactly. It could be a bamboo. Yeah. yeah. Rings of bamboo. Oh, all right. Man. So you so you are doing all of this monitoring. Yes. What else? Okay. So, um, then I've had these like little incidental moments and, uh, 
one of the incidental moments was actually last fall. So while I was working for C-Click Fix, C-Click Fix had moved its headquarters temporarily while an air conditioning system was being put into the new space to uh, drive at District. So I had this glorious um, landscape that I got to take in on a daily basis outside of Drive, which is the beautiful Mill River Mm. right there. And so I took a lot of walks during the day with my binoculars just to see which birds and what other species were hunkered down along the river. Mm. And um, we'd been doing some trail clearing for the Mill River Trail uh, with C-Click Fix and then with some other folks in town. And um, I had taken a series of photos of a juvenile double-crested cormorant roost on the river. And next morning after taking these photos and having done some trail clearing, I was going through the photographs and checking out the photos of the double-crested cormorants. And there was a big group and then there was one single bird. And I zoomed in on the photo that I had of the single bird and I noticed that it was entangled in fishing line. Mm. And I was kind of like, oh my God, mm. if only I had looked at this last night and not right now. Um, so I went up to my closet and put on the crappiest clothes I could find. <laughs> like the jeans I was not sad to throw away mm. at the end of the day, the the shoes, etc. I grabbed a, um, a laundry basket, a towel, a pair of scissors mm-hmm. and I put those in my car chloroform, and I, chloroform. <laughs> a net <laughs> a net no I didn't get that far um, interestingly enough I only got those items and I, I drove it was, I think it was like 7 o'clock in the morning and I drove to district and noticed that it was low tide which was to my advantage in certain ways and mm-hmm. to my disadvantage Ugh. in many others. Yeah. And Still so, barefoot. yeah, so I got there and I got my binoculars out and I checked out the bird and I was like, oh, I think it's dead. I think it drowned at high tide. Oh, no. But I clambered out there and, you know, got knee deep in, you know, disgusting brackish marsh mud mm. and um it's good for the sinking complexion into it. Oh, oh my legs my yeah. legs were just so smooth, smooth after this yeah, <laughs> and there's some pop- your ankles are positive there's also glowing, some beautiful like, populations that live near that area no there's some what the encampments near there yeah um Yes, I think underneath the bridge um, uh, that's part of 91 Mm -hmm. going north, um, sometimes there are individuals who camp out. Mm. Yeah. So I would, I mean, that would be my other worry. Yeah. I didn't think about this. Oh, God. (laughs) So I just basically went down to the river. In addition to climate change, we can just introduce the opioid crisis. Yes. Absolutely. Because that's that's what we're talking about. Yes. And you see it all over New Haven. I'm sure everybody sees it in every city but it's right. it's and then really the city does here. bullshit sweeps and kicks them out of the only place yeah. they can i know dry. well and, and then people yeah. keep going Fuck back and, and the same Harp. thing happens yeah. Fuck off tony harp over sex yeah yeah all right but, so yeah. sorry okay so anyway so yeah so i got there clambered out there and um basically i cut the bird off of the limb on a dead tree snag and indeed it was dead and mm. it had hooked 
its mouth. Um, oh. So it had probably gotten a fish, and oh. um, <sighs> the fish had the line on it. Uh-huh. And so the the hook was deeply embedded, and there was tons of line that was wrapped all around the neck, one of the wings and the body, and of course it had snagged on this tree and then mm. drowned. And I was very, like, just sad and and it's moved so by this brutal. yeah it is so brutal and it was in a summer where there had been two osprey deaths precisely because of monofilament fishing line mm-hmm. and so based on this i just started reaching out to every organization that i was aware of in terms of birding and and the environment um within connecticut so i reached out to Audubon, Connecticut, Connecticut Audubon, Monongatuck Audubon, the New Haven Land Trust, and also Parks and Rec, you know, the Connecticut Fund for the Environment, and then just kept saying, like, oh, we need to do something about this. Mm. And a few people were like, you know, yeah, we need more monofilament fishing line recycling bins. And so I, I ended up getting positive response from several individuals at the various organizations. And one of the organizations was Monongatuck Audubon. Society, and that is the local chapter of Audubon that spans from Orange, Connecticut, along the coast to Madison, and then also includes Woodbridge and North Brantford. Mm-hmm. And so it's a pretty good sized chunk of the coast. Mm-hmm. And they're a sort of flagship, they're held up as an example nationally and certainly within the state as a very productive, active um, group. They get shit done. They get shit done, hmm. which is David Yarnold's uh, new favorite phrase <laughs> from National Audubon. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is, which is great. And so I spoke with the president, Dennis Jordan, and uh, he really wanted to do something about it. And then the folks at the Connecticut Ornithological Association, like Stephen Broker and Craig Repage um, and others, were also really interested in Shout it. Shout out, Craig. Yeah, I love Craig. <laughs> he's, um, he's one of my people. We're also both French Canadian mm. um, yeah. to oh. a large extent. So, so wow. really, my people. Um, it's spreading, apparently. <laughs> it is. They, yes, there, there's some Canadian down. positivity. It's Canadian positivity. You guys really know. That's what it takes make America Canadian again. Yes. Right? <laughs> they really know how to make progress. Progress. Oh, oh progress. <laughs> good one. And they have great swear words. The French Canadians, it's all sacred language. Tabernacle. Oh, yeah. Let me not offend anyone by saying that, but yes. Um, Do, they don't listen. I feel like podcast. I feel like that's the least of our concerns, yeah. honestly. With the shit that comes out of uh, maybe my mouth, I don't know. Tony uh, Harp already has a hit out on Sean. I hate her. So. Uh-huh. I already refused to shake her hand in public once, Ugh. so I don't like her. Yeah. All right, well, moving back to the positivity. Uh, okay, we already so. started talking about Mononkatunk, and that's one of our questions. Yeah. yeah. And so um, they're the fucking shit. They're responsible for so much. Can you just just list the accomplishments of Monunkatuck? Because All literally, of them in I think, alphabetical no, order. No, like the recent right, like good ones. Yeah. No, because it's a serious. <laughs> if like anybody is listening and you want to get involved, put some fucking pressure on your local Audubon to give a shit. Like it's it shouldn't just be feeder watching. It should be actual community action because yeah. that's what you're fucking there for. It's so true. List off this shit. This is perfect. So, so I won't be able to do justice necessarily to the entire portfolio of conservation activities that Monongatuck has undertaken. We don't have that much time. But some of them are, like, they do uh, 
the fantastic Terry Shaw, who is one of our board members, builds Osprey platforms that have a design that's sought after throughout the United States because it's a metastable uh, structure and also includes a baffle to keep uh, snakes and other raccoons, etc., anything that could rob eggs away from Sick. the actual platform. Yes, it's very exciting. So there's that. There are nest boxes that for tree swallows, purple martins, etc., that are distributed. There's conservation work at various urban oases within New Haven and other locations, like the Beaver Pond Park Urban Oasis. They're a part of that and also the West River Memorial Park, uh, Barnard Park. Nature, Nature Center. And we're highly involved over there with our fabulous ranger, Harry Coyle, um, who is remarkable, and also the school that's nearby. So there's a schoolyard habitat, and then there's also the riverfront habitat. Um, some other things, we have excellent webcams that feature various nests throughout Connecticut. And so we have an osprey nest cam at West River Memorial and also at Hammonasset. We have webcams on Faulkner Island for oyster catcher nests. Mm. And then other incidental nests that crop up that people become aware of. And then we will put up a webcam and follow us. We had yellow crown night herons this year and a robin's nest. And in previous years, we've had barred owls as well. And there are others. So you can go on the mononkatuck.org website and check out all of the webcams. We'll we'll link that for you all. Okay, perfect. Try to figure out how to spell mononkatuck. Mononkatuck is a mouthful. Definitely. It is that. Yeah, I've never actually said it out loud. <laughs> it's the, tough. Now's the perfect it's tough. time. It, it, it. it is a phrase that intimidates many. Mononkatuck. Yes. Yeah, no, you did it. <laughs> I had to read it. That's awesome. It's co- that's coming from me with my last name. So, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to bother with that one. Exactly. Stretchers. 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 Oh, my God. Strikers. Strikers. All right. So we've, we're we're like talking really a real big game about Mononkatuck and all this stuff. Oh, but yes. is there a... Is well, there, she didn't get to uh, get to the conclusion of the monofilament. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. The oh, monofilament. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, yes. We'll circle back around to that. And so through all of this like rigorous outreach, which luckily I feel no shame about um (laughs) i basically got a whole bunch of people a posse of people who care deeply Mm. about putting up monofilament fishing line recycling bins and i was encouraged to apply for a grant through the connecticut ornithological association i did so and um we were awarded the largest grant that they gave out this past year nice um, which is really great and also the folks at mononkatuck applied for a um it was a, a group of women in environmental professions. And so we got a matching grant. And with that matching grant, we have constructed 30 monofilament fishing line recycling bins, which yes. is also a heck of a mouthful, um, to be distributed throughout the greater New Haven area. And we installed our first two bins two weekends ago at Beaver Pond Park. This coming weekend, we will be at Fort Nathan Hale mm. Park, putting in two others. And then we've got uh, we've got a 
a lengthy list of um, bins to put in it's at various shore, locations. It's a lot of fucking shoreline to cover. So, it is. So, all right. So what's the deal with the recycling bin? Like people, people are just out on a nature walk. Right. And they trip and find themselves unable to stand up because they're caught in all this garbage. All they can it, carry yes. it back out with them. They could, absolutely. Put it in one of these bins. Right. If the fucking fishermen don't do it first. Which yeah, is I mean, where, where does the brute force come in with forcing the fishermen to use it? Mm. So that's the other component of this particular project. So we're going to install the bins, and then we need volunteers to be part of a, a beat program where they choose an area that's close to where they live it's easily accessible in order to go monitor the bins mm. and we're going to be equipping them with um, some type of identification and also a toolkit so that they can remove the monofilament fishing line from the bins and also educational materials so that if they see people out, particularly anglers or fisher people of any ilk, um, they can help and Seen educate. <laughs> Straight up, Heather. <laughs> um, they can help educate. So, so that is the hope, definitely. So I was thinking about this. Um, I was on a kayak a couple of months ago with a buddy of mine, and um, we were going down the Mill River right next to the, the Mill River Trail, which right. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something that I was just researching. Like, how far has it gotten? And, right. Yeah. Um, Big things have happened just this yeah. week, just today. That's actually. awesome. Yeah. How, they how opened close up is another... it? Just How like close another, is it? Yeah, they, to getting got... to the to the park. It, it's supposed to go. What is, what's the name of the park in Fairhaven? Uh, La Costa or uh... yes, um, I'm blanking. Yeah, I'm blanking me too. on it. It starts with a C. That's yeah. all I can tell you because that's the way my brain works. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and then it goes across the Chapel Bridge area, and then I think it ends within about 25 feet of Humphrey Street. And so they have to do a few things that are sort of larger engineering hurdles mm, in order right. to connect all of the parts. But uh, some of those are going to be taking place, those uh, maneuvers, towards the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall. That's really exciting. I mean, Heather and I were just lamenting how much of the access to natural waterways mm -hmm. just in this area completely well it's non-existent right there's no access all, right. all of the water is either greater you know a regional water authority protected or private property right and it's a real shame i mean in a lot of places there there are no trails there are no sidewalks there's no anything and, and it just cuts the local population off and this is not just a, a connecticut new haven hamden problem this is an everywhere problem right, right. but it, it cuts people off from Right. Probably the nearest source of just a, a diverse ecosystem. We colonize our own water, it's, but we don't mm -hmm. need to do that anymore because we have fucking transportation, so maybe we should stop doing that. Right. Well, That's yeah, really I mean, point. so there's on in one hand, it's like, well, there's conservation, and, and, you know, maybe it's best to keep, you know, the public away. And then the other hand, the public needs access in order to spur the ability to want to participate in conservation. Right. Exactly. It's that appreciation that they're right. missing because they can't actually see what's there and experience it. Yeah. And oftentimes, so. obviously, the, the trails are, are going to, it tends to be a, an environmental and a social justice mm -hmm. issue um, simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So, so yes. And yeah. Oh, I think it also betrays something that 
we've been uh, another thing we've been talking about recently, which is just this concept that like um, a misconception that for that some people have that urban dwellers are either unwilling or incapable of of appreciation mm-hmm. of these sorts of, of of ecosystems and offerings, right. and it's it's nonsense. And and if they don't have access, access to any of this stuff, then I don't understand right. how you can expect people to to build this uh, sort of appreciation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why some of the urban oases and the specific placement of some of the urban oases is so critical mm-hmm. for, yes, I think, in terms of um, the urban oasis at Beaver Pond Park, the fact that it's in between Beaver Hills and also New Hallville mm-hmm. um, is, is it's, it's a critical area in order to hopefully bring people in and mm-hmm. make everyone feel like they have access. Right. And Same thing with West River and Quinnipiac Meadows. And something you did recently that sort of ties into that is the pollinator highway. Oh yes, the pollinator pathway. Pathway. Yes. So yes, it's in its it's in a nascent form at the moment. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I live on Norton Parkway in New Haven. It has a gigantic median that is so underutilized and also kind of an eyesore because all it has right now are these gnarly decades old bushes of burning bush Mm -hmm. um, which is a horrific invasive Mm -hmm. Um, it looks pretty in the fall because it turns this Mm -hmm. crazy magenta color but it is it's not good for the environment and everybody's yards start they start propagating burning bush from these as well they should plant some uh, japanese knotweed along with the burning bush and then just add variety (laughs) definitely Definitely. Donkey weed. Yeah, donkey weed. <laughs> That's the other name for it. Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Just some honeysuckle while we're at it. Yes. Get a Japanese. Mm. That would be great. It smells so good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna burn the burning bush. We're gonna burn the burning bush. Um, we're working with the city of New Haven to figure out how we can remove it as long as all of the residents along Norton Parkway are cool with this Mm -hmm. because quite frankly we're working with uri and uri wants consensus Mm -hmm. on these um sorry what's uri uri is the urban resources initiative and it is out of yale but it gets funding and it helps people within new haven create community green spaces they also do amazing things in terms of planting free trees so if the city deems a tree near your house to be unsafe they come and take down a tree uri will supply you with a gorgeous tree of i think they probably have about seven to ten varieties of trees that you can choose from um and they're all native species and um, they'll do that. And then even if a tree has not been marked for destruction by the city, mm-hmm. you can get a tree. Uh, so it's a brilliant, brilliant program. And they've created most of the pocket parks mm. and some other very large scale community green spaces in New Haven. And so I had this idea after learning that um, about the pollinator pathway uh, program that was out of Newtown. 
and has been uh, showing up in different other locations throughout Connecticut. And I heard whispers that maybe a chapter was going to be coming to New Haven. And so I was thinking, my gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we could transform Norton Parkway into a pollinator pathway, which would link uh, habitats or be part of a network that mm. links habitats? Because the whole idea of a pathway is that it will, you know, Obviously, this one will connect to the Beaver Pond Park and the mm -hmm. Urban Oasis, which is an unbelievable pollinator uh, oasis. Um, and so we've been working with a fantastic intern named Austin. And so we've received a ton of free plants and we've gotten advice and design help from them and put that in on a segment of Norton Parkway. And hopefully that will continue long into the future. Many of these projects are multiple year. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are 15 to 20 years old, funded by URI. So every summer you just keep developing the plan and planting mm -hmm. more plants. So that's really cool. Yeah. So does URI, do they, um, do they work mostly by volunteer or? I'm trying to, like, are they actually going out and planting trees? And the reason I ask is because when we left New Haven, um, we had lost a bunch of trees on Cottage Street. And before we left, they, I, there were just people planting trees. Right. And they were not city. They're, like, not city employees. And they weren't from the um, management company of right. the property. Most of them are either Yale undergrads okay. or they're Yale FES, uh, Forestry okay. and Environmental Okay, that, that might have been I'm also that. pretty sure we planted yep. one ourselves. We did, in front on of, State Street. Yeah, in, in front, front of, of Make Haven before, yeah. <laughs> before it moved. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, we yeah. planted about three or four trees over there. Some of them died. Oh. Some of them did die, sadly. But we did it. Yes. But we pushed them out into the harbor on a boat and we set the boat on fire. So they you crossed gave it a the Viking funeral. Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's cool. The trees had a Viking funeral. That's good. It's a beautiful thing. We made a boat out of the trees. <laughs> pushed the boat out into the harbor and set it on fire. Wow. Okay. Viking burial. <laughs> I didn't ex burials. I didn't expect that one. Yeah, it's it's that's hard to recover from. <laughs> uh, so speaking of Viking burials, I know. <laughs> How do we segue? Well, in the water, there are also forage fish. So that's the other area of concern these days. Oh. For me and then also Monuncatuck, Audubon, Audubon, Connecticut, and then an entire consortium of other groups within Connecticut, including Connecticut, Audubon, Save the Sound, and also um, we've got the two aquariums, so Mystic and Norwalk are involved in this as well. Uh, forage fish are the really tiny fish in the sea. It's sand lances, um, herring, uh, anchovies, and sometimes shad are included within this. Um, certainly in the current designation of uh, forage fish, shad are included. Menhaden, not so much. Uh, but this is a big national effort through National Audubon Society and some other organizations because they're concerned about the overfishing of the forage fish, yeah. <laughs> which of course critically impacts seabirds, um, larger fish that feed on the forage fish. And then of course, marine mammals like humpback whales that are baleen feeders and rely predominantly on krill and sand lances for their diet. 
So, so this has become a big, a big, big issue, and that's the kind of newest push. So I'm part of the Greater Connecticut Action Team on uh, forage fish, and I had an unbelievable opportunity in April to go down to D.C. as a um, as an advocate. Uh, to National Audubon, and we got to go around to the Senate and the Congress in order to speak with uh, Congress people and senators about this issue. As uh, we had Debbie Dingle and then Brian Mast, who had just submitted the day that we arrived for the the DC Audubon Forage Fish Fly-In, a Forage Fish Conservation Act to the Congress. Mm. Yeah. Robin, we have to keep you from getting a job <laughs> because you're doing such great work. If if only someone would pay you to do it. It's true. Yes. Yeah, sources of independent wealth are also welcome. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, or, can we get a patron for Robin? Just can somebody, can some, can one of our five listeners who has any money just send it to Robin so that she can keep doing all this stuff? Do you just lay awake at night? Really you're, bad. you're like, how do I, what can I do next? And then you just wake up and you email people. Cause I mean, like w- we need to, so one of the things that we like to do on the show is like right. give actionable right. advice or, or information to people so that they can actually start doing some of this awesome stuff themselves. Definitely. And so I, I think it depends on which issues resonate with you personally, because I, I find that in order to muster the the energy and the passion, like it has to be something that, mm. that really speaks to your heart. Um, of course, there are things that speak to everyone's sense of outrage right now. We have an outrage-filled culture in the mm-hmm. United States yeah. on every side of the political spectrum. And outrage can only fuel you for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, despair certainly can't fuel you at all. Fear can't fuel you. Fear is just paralysis, and so is despair. So I say, like, a little bit of outrage with a whole lot of genuine passion and love for um, if it's a species that resonates with you, um, if it's a habitat, you just, you know, using the Google I find is a brilliant, brilliant thing to connect you with the various organizations uh, in Connecticut and elsewhere that will allow you to make connections and then start acting. And of course, think about what you would like to give in terms of time and energy and particular skills. Um, I think that's also like I, I tend to be I'm very comfortable in the role of being an agitator and a networker. And so the easiest part of anything for me is um, reaching out and getting people motivated. Mm. The harder part for me is always detail follow through. Uh, And Mm. so building that structure and commitment into a longer term project for me is a lot harder because I really like the idea generation and the networking Mm -hmm. and, you know, being an agitator. Uh, So I think knowing yourself and what you're capable of giving is hugely important. But 
in terms of any of the issues that I have talked about, uh, certainly you can go on to Menonkatalk.org. You can look at Audubon, Connecticut, Connecticut Audubon, uh, in order to connect on those levels. If you're interested in finding out more about URI, Urban Resources Initiative, uh, they have a great website and lots of detailed information about what they do and different opportunities as well. Any national um, recommendations? Because we surprisingly have listeners all over the U.S., if you can believe it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so so National Audubon Society, <laughs> they have fantastic action alerts uh, that come out on a weekly or more than weekly basis. And through their website, you can, of course, get connected with your state offices and also local chapters. Uh, Audubon is also starting a campus program where they are oh. yes trying wow. to like finally right yeah that just campus seems like chapters. so duh but Cam- campus chapters because they're really committed to uh bringing in a new generation of uh bird advocates and conservationists thank you fucking god i mean yeah and they're finally. really they're really committed to equality diversity and inclusion too and if there was a theme at the uh the national audubon convention that i just attended in milwaukee mm. which was a surprisingly wonderful town i really got a oh, kick wow. out of it i like it there oh huh. i really i really dug it um oh, it's wild yeah yeah i had no idea i was thrilled but the the theme was audubon for everyone Mm. And so all ages, all ethnicities, all abilities. Um, and it's it's a great mm. it's a great new thing. And a lot of focus on social action and environmental action. We had Winona Leduc there as the plenary. And we got to see a lot of um, great conservation information and news, too. Other organizations, obviously, the the Nature Conservancy, um, Sierra Club, these are other marvelous national organizations that you can connect with. And they Mm -hmm. all have brilliant action alerts. Actually, Sierra Club on Facebook has one of the best bots for advocacy and action that I have encountered. Hmm. Uh, It's really, really well done technologically. And it's super easy to take effective actions through social media. But of course, it's more satisfying for many people to be taking these actions in the real. And so find out what's happening um, locally that you can connect with through these national organizations that all have local chapters. And I think if if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, you know, you have this sort of burn that gets you through that initial stage. You love planning. You love sort of taking that 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 first step. But it seems like in all of your endeavors, there have been people that you've been working with that are the slow and steadies and the planners and the database maintainers. Right. So there's right. So there's a role for everybody. There is a role for everybody. No matter no matter who you are. Yes. You know, you can get involved. So I guess the question then at whatever level of engagement, like this is the brilliant thing. You really can like especially when you connect with a community, there are going to be all sorts of complementary types that will help make an action, um, be it conservation, be it advocacy uh, effective. That's how this podcast has actually made it 
because I'm also like a big to five I, listeners. Yeah, well, I'm a big I'm a big ideas person too. I get really excited and I'm like, I'll make a website and I'll do this yes. and I'll do that and I'll design this and I'll design that and I do all the things that I'm really good at and I get really excited. But then it's then then it, it dies. <laughs> and then it dies. And withers on the vine. Right. I but, so hear you. But we all have our own skills. Right. Like Sean is just great about just emailing anyone and everyone. Sean's the you of our group. Sean oh, yeah. does hey. all of the outreach. Yeah. Sean, Sean has no compunction, just like cold calling, cold emailing, texting people, just being like, hey, yeah. You've got to come on the show, and that right? is I mean, like is, that's I oh hate, yeah oh no Ooh. it's all about it's a Google. good it's a good skill and honestly I credit C Click <laughs> we've Fix never met with giving me that skill <laughs> yeah because I had to get really cozy with making cold calls and mm. doing cold emails all the time and I was not used to that before this last job that I had and um, it mm. really kind of set me up well for the uh, the agitator role yeah you never you never know who is going to reply. It's one thing to think about. And the best thing is that those, a lot of interactions really lead other places. Like, um, for me, Molly Adams from the Feminist Bird Club, she's super busy. She is hustling. So her hands are in every good birding, like, social activism, like, thing going on right now. And because of that, she's super busy. But she also got me in touch. She's getting me in touch with so many people. She's been, like, she's one of these people that's just like a great on, connector yeah yeah and that's like it's amazing like you know uh any of our guests that reach out have all been really excited and that's been amazing uh the response is is incredible and that's for me like and it must be it's got to be the same like one positive response to like six dead emails is fucking awesome because it's that one person that comes on that you get to fucking talk to and it's a really yeah. good conversation every single time because obviously that person is like super stoked to come on some no-name fucking podcast mm-hmm. so and see i hate it so much that i literally pay someone to do my outreach for my business uh, yeah I, yeah cause I'm like, i get it i i mm, completely get it and that's you why you should be a consultant robin <laughs> I feel like there's some money mm. in that. <clears throat> awesome. All y'all organizations All out right. there needing some outreach. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. So at the moment, what are what's your, what are you the most hot for? Since you're hot for conservation in general, what is the what's your current project that's taking up like all of your brain power? Oh, all of my brain power. Well, it's it's really coordinating the the bin installations. The monofilament fishing line. Awesome. Uh, I used one yesterday, by the way. Did you so where? I did at Sandy Point. And I oh, threw, that's great. Yes, I, I know where that one is. And some and an old rusty lure. There's some been some gross stuff. There's two yeah. dead loggerheads uh-huh. washed up on shore. I t- Mystic Aquarium, who you we were hate just those, talking though. about. Uh-huh. I emailed them, and they had already taken care of it. But they were really fast with their re- wow. reply. They're phenomenal. Um, can you put can you put hooks in the recycling bin? I did. I mean, it did. Y- you can, yeah. Um, okay. So so basically, the volunteers that are going to go around and collect from those, we're going to make sure that they have good, sturdy gloves. And the other thing, um, because you don't want them reaching in. So the mm-hmm. the way the bin is constructed, you you put the monofilament in the top area, and then it falls to the bottom, and then it's all PVC pipe. And so you unscrew it at the bottom because it just has a trap, a plug. 
and then you have to reach up and pull it out. And so we don't want anyone um, poking themselves with that. And then the stuff that's collected, um, what's cool is that Berkeley uh, in Iowa, which is the producer of monofilament fishing line, they will accept it back and make sure it gets recycled into some other plastic product so this is why it's a recycling bin and not just a you know basically a way to stage it for trash right and and so we are working with connecticut deep so we will collect it we will clip the hooks off and remove you know detritus and then we will bring it to connecticut deep and deep will send it to berkeley in iowa that is that's a really really big big selling point i think for public if they knew if people knew generally because i had no clue i just don't like the trash i know what it's doing but if i think if people knew that they were also contributing to like recycling programs right and to like it's a legit it's it's that's fully that's way deeper than i knew that it went yeah it's not just like picking up trash off the side of the road because people have been hearing about that for so long i feel like it's almost been beaten to death over the over the years like picking up trash but it but recycling is like a way that's like a a, a way different situation right like. and People it, it diverts it from a landfill or from an incinerator which is great mm-hmm. um and then it has life longer life uh, and it will just help out i think in that respect and boat us is who we work with in order to have the the signs and the stickers that describe the entire monofilament fishing line recycling and the benefits to it and i should read signs yeah (laughs) yeah the signs signs are pretty great (laughs) actually yeah and they're national and they're super helpful Mm. shit well I I learned something. I learned two things. A, I don't practice what I preach because I'm always cur- telling people to read the signs around them. And and two, I you are recycling these things. This is a really good idea. I'm glad that I'm glad that you uh, told me that. Yeah. Like I like learning. Me too. Man, you. I don't understand where the motivation comes from. I don't understand how you can have that much energy. I feel like. I have like a capacity for passion in in any regard, and once I've reached reached that threshold, I just go to sleep, like wherever <laughs> I am. So I don't know. I, I it I on the road in a car. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I you know, I'll scream about salt marsh sparrows until I fall asleep. It's just like. Mm-hmm. I don't know where this comes from for you. Do you uh, do you sleep? Do you have like a? Oh yes, I do. Not well these days, but um, but that's just the way it is. Um... It's like a healthcare regimen you need to talk about. Do you have like <laughs> crystals in your pockets? <laughs> like what are we talking about here? <laughs> Secretly, yes, I am somebody who yes. always walks around with like funky rocks in my pocket. Right. Uh-huh. Um, definitely not necessarily spiritual crystals, but but things, just stuff that I like. Hey, whatever. Keeps I like you feeling. Line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I don't know where it comes from. I think I was always the the kid who, after a rainstorm, felt really bad about the worms on the sidewalk. So I was the girl who was like, I'm going to overcome my squeamishness about picking up a worm, and I'm going to shuttle that worm to a safe location. Scott does this on our walks almost every day. Yes. And then he feels guilty about... Yeah, he feels guilty about the worm jerky. (laughs) 
Yeah. Those oh, absolutely. The ones, ones that, that are, missed. I know, I you know. I saw one the all, other Robin. day. You can't save you can't. them all. You can't, but uh, what you I do say, it matters. I carry a little bottle of water so that I can wet them, so like rehydrate them. Really? Yeah. I love Not this. like the ones yeah. that are like too far Not the gone. jerky ones. The, I mean, those no, are they're too far gone. I can't re- water doesn't reanimate, but <laughs> it does rehydrate. <laughs> but also I have this I have this sneaking suspicion that every so, time like I pick up a worm and rehydrate it and throw it into the grass that like a bird is just like cool. Like <laughs> yes. sweeps Thanks, in is like yeah, that water's going to really make this thing it's yeah. just going to wash it right down right down the gullet. But then I you know, I'm doing my job. <laughs> but it's I'm, part of the great cycle of life yep, and of course it's, it's like what what you're hitting on too is the interdependence within an ecosystem. And this is unfortunately in this this era of sectorized thinking about things as opposed to systems thinking about things. Um, We really focus on, oh, like, oh, we're worried about the birds and we're just worried about the birds. Of course, it's not just about the birds. Like the birds are dependent on the bugs, which are dependent on the plants. And so everybody read Doug Tallamy's Bringing Nature Home book, Mm. by the way, for the power of planting native uh, so if you've got the native plants, you're going to bring back the bug populations, which feed the bird populations, which then also have other predators. And so it's this, it's the balance of the ecosystem, and there's no vector more harmful to that these days than human beings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. we'll have more on that with an upcoming guest who is about native plants uh, on gardening in uh, Durham, Connecticut. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We're just going to keep going. I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be super. I like, I'm really excited to start branching out to the other aspects of birding that are, that impact, you know, the conservation efforts. That's what I'm really excited about in terms of this podcast. Um, Very cool. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing that um, when you tell people you're a birder, they have this very narrow idea and it's, and it's like, you know, when you get when you are out in the field and you see how these birds interact with other birds with the plants around them you get this awakening to the ecosystem that is around you at all times Mm. so true and that's what i think a lot of people don't get from the outside it's true, and sometimes they don't get it even from the inside. Like, it was so funny. When I was at the, the Audubon convention, <laughs> this guy that I was talking to, and it was just one of those, like, um, cognitive dissonance moments for me in birding where I was talking with a group, chit-chatting. The first night of the Audubon convention, there was a, a tour of a brewery in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. Wonderful people. But I was talking about my excitement over some species that I had gotten to see when I was in Portal, Arizona two years ago. And I had someone standing there who was attending the convention say to me, like, after I I talked about the elegant trogon and I talked about some of the the hummingbirds that I got to see, like the magnificent hummingbird, which is truly magnificent. And this individual said, oh, yeah, you know, my life list is 773 and I've been to seven continents. Eat shit. <laughs> Eat shit and die. And I was like, I was like, oh, this is somebody's about like the compulsive count as oh. opposed to the systems thinking. And my response to him was, you know what I really like in other people is when they're excited for somebody who's excited about what they've been able to do. <laughs> 
you know, without necessarily having the resources to travel to seven continents. <laughs> right over his head. To well, which, and I said, I did say, my county list. <laughs> I, I, I did say to him, you can view it as a competitive sport or you can view it as an experiential art. And I yeah. sort of fall into the latter category. So, well, I mean, there are birding bros, right? I mean, yeah. it's just like the photographer bros and like these, you know, competitive. Right. Exist. At all bros know no bounds, Scott. Yeah, bros know no. <laughs> bros know no. Oh, there's so, a right. What a weird response. But, but it was a really like, interesting response. So predictable, though. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty sadly. He, didn't, he like, didn't process my two statements either. You could just see from the smile uh, on his face that there was no 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 internalizing no, it flew of over the his message. head, and then that was just another lifer. For right, him. Yeah. right. Oh, but man, then the, there was, was a woman who was good. with me. <laughs> yes, yes. Heather. There was another woman with me who came up to me. I think twice during the weekend. She was like, "I'm so sorry that happened." Oh, <laughs> She's just like, "I heard him, and I was." just gobsmacked by his audacity at saying something like that at an inclusive like audubon um event too right like the, the right. whole point of the the conference was that and i know just, and here was somebody a... who was just like bragging well just because it's it, like it seems like it, the whole purpose for him being there like he couldn't even wait to fit that in, like in context in a conversation. Well, it's just like the first opportunity. The only potentially, reason, although he was at some of the advocacy and campaigning. Yeah, but uh, I workshops. feel like the only reason someone would bring that up is like somehow feeling threatened, like that you were talking mm. about something and people were interested in what you were saying. Do you think he's making up for something with the size of his bird that count? That is what <laughs> Before, I'm trying wait. to say. Can I just add though that I love that so much. If if this dude has literally been to that many continents in his life list, isn't even at eight hundred, <laughs> homie's got nothing to fucking brag about. <laughs> Let me just say that. That is dismal. That ego has that been checked. Sad. You should pick that up in Costa Rica. <laughs> like, consider get out checked, of here, sir. Yeah. Oh man, you I, got I may be misquoting, but I feel like I absorbed that that's number right. pretty well in the man. moment. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, sad because I was sort of I was yeah stunned the, but well, that I was that my enthusiasm and my yeah. my story was being checked in such a oh, particular man, so peculiar way. That's so typical. <laughs> Anywho, yeah. I like yeah. listing. I'm a lister, but holy. F- I mean, I wouldn't even. Yes. I don't even talk. Tell you guys what my list numbers are. It's like a personal. Because you thing. know what it's we like tell a, you, Sean. I know. I know. Well, and <laughs> it's a, a personal thing. You you post it on Facebook every day. But that's <laughs> no. But that's different. I'm just cataloging. I'm not looking for like. It's not like a brag thing. Like mm-hmm. I've just been cataloging as I go. Right. This is like the one place that I really do it. Besides. Yeah. All right. There's I'm gonna, a. I'm gonna rein this in. Google Keep. <laughs> I'm gonna rein this in. <laughs> Ebird so, is really Ebert. where I should do it. I don't know why I started. Ebird doing is that. great because. Because that's obviously like that's for citizen science yeah. purposes. But well, yeah. and eBird is something we've talked about in the past too. When we do our sort of like uh, our question to to uh, interviewees um, about the recommendations for new birders, right? right. So um, a lot of what we're trying to do is appeal to the the new birder, the initiate, the person who sees that guy. That old white guy. And then doesn't want to come again. Like, yeah, and, and is like, he's just about to pull out his bird count, right? Right, right. Consensually. And, um, <laughs> and, and we're, so we're trying to appeal, we're trying to appeal. Oh my God. We're trying to appeal to those people. 
And so what we do is we're we're uh, we're amassing a sort of like birding 101 mm -hmm. uh, from people such as yourself who have years of of not just years of experience but just like a love for this stuff, right? right. So what what's your advice for the for the novice birder who you know is approaching this stuff for the first time in in any sort of scenario? In any sort of scenario. Yeah. Okay. So of course, there are apps that, that one may learn much from, and I'm sure you've talked about this before. There's Merlin, which is a really great entry point app for figuring out what you're looking at, uh, because it has all of these little entry point, like, what size is it? What are the three dominant colors? What's the habitat? Yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> and then Cornell. I think, <clears throat> yes, Cornell. Oh, yes. Come awesome. on our show. I know, please. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think finding, finding a community where you feel safe birding, mm -hmm. um, because that's the thing, like, you know, the, the Feminist Bird Club, World Girl Birders, these groups that have slow birding, mm -hmm. um, that have developed, it's, it's for a purpose and it's uh, to counter kind of the compulsive counters mm -hmm. within the, the bird world, or, you know, in some ways what has been perceived as a male dominated way of uh, approaching birding versus a novice um, way or a slow birding way or any other modality that doesn't have compulsive um, counting with it. Um, I definitely went around to a lot of different bird walks in order to figure out which ones I felt the most comfortable in. Mm. And there were always repeat characters. And I have to say for the most part, uh, birding is a gentle sport. Uh, if you want to think of it as a sport or as an experiential art, you know, whatever way you want to think of it. But most of the birders I have ever met, I would say 90 to 95% of the birders I have met are kind, wonderful, generous people who are happy to share knowledge and not there to make you feel like a doofus. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, having a buddy who also may be interested in doing this with you is helpful. I started going with a friend of mine, um, incidentally also French Canadian, uh, and his name was Remy Castonguay. And oh, yeah, Remy. Remy, my buddy. Oh, and so. Yeah. He and I had a very irreverent approach to birding. Guy. We we were like, oh, we love these little mofos. Mm. You know, we would talk about it, the chickadees or the nuthatches, and we would refer mm. to them as mofos. And we would make jokes amongst mm. ourselves because we like to keep things light and not overly serious. We don't like to take ourselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. And we don't like to take any of these processes too seriously either. And so having somebody with you that uh, allows you to feel like you're really being yourself and authentic and mm. genuine within a new pursuit is golden. And then you make other friends and you find that you can be genuine and authentic with them in the birding world. And so it just has a, a natural sort of social progression. Yeah, we're out here. You know, yeah, we're out. We're around. Yeah, there's the weirdos are here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're out here. That was so beautiful and nice. Thank you. I feel like we should end on that because it's so, yeah. But it's I'm so I'm asking but... you the question. And I don't give a shit what you think. So. <laughs> here it comes. Okay. So Scott, try and yeah, you, you bring were, it. You wanted to bring on that last question. I know what nice that last question is. He's gonna shut me down. But but for real, we're just gonna keep talking about this stupid fucking bird. 
Bring it. Ivory build woodpecker. Ivory build woodpecker. <laughs> I knew this was coming. What are my thoughts about it? Is it? Does it exist? Does it exist? I'm going to say this. I'm a kid of the 1970s. Nice. Some of my favorite TV shows were In Search Of. And I loved Leonard Nimoy going out in search of things like yeah. uh, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, etc. And we all know stories. Stories have come out just in the past couple of weeks about a species we thought was long lost, extinct, mm. dead, done, over. Mm-hmm. But then one crops up. <laughs> so so I, I'm going to go with, you know, I always hoped that Bigfoot was real. I always hoped that the Loch Ness Monster was real. So... I'm going to hope that there's an ivory bill woodpecker out there. Keep no up way. alive. This is like, that's, that is nice. You're continuing with this nice stuff. You're really deflating my uh, <laughs> uh, the point of the question. Yeah, I, but that's good. No, I appreciate it. You Sean have seeks hope, to polarize. Hope for the ivory bill woodpecker. That's, yes. That's good. I'm, I like that one. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I think we should file that one in one of the top answers for that one. I'm still waiting for the guests to just come on and be like, yeah, I fucking seen it. Yeah. But. <laughs> Yeah, this is. Like, I can't bring good. you that. I definitely yeah. cannot. Hope, hope. That's your whole alive. point of it, isn't it? You're yeah, just you, you want to meet somebody. <laughs> oh, I totally want Foulmouth to break the the to break the story, but it's you know it's my own secret hope, and I'm just gonna ask everybody. Well, it's not a secret anymore, Sean. Well, yeah, we all. Know. I mean, honestly, somebody take me on a fucking canoe trip in in uh, Louisiana <laughs> right. or Florida because I'm Some, all right, rich patron. Uh, give Robin a lot of money to keep doing what she's doing. <laughs> some some weird swamp person <laughs> in Louisiana. Get your get your boat. Get Sean. Go out looking for the ivory billed woodpecker. And keep your fucking life list in your pants, guys. Yeah, seriously. Let's just leave it in your leave Zip it and your it. continent check account. Yeah, for real. Yep. For real. Robin, thank you so much. Thank this you. This has been an absolute pro- thank pleasure. You so much. I yeah. loved this. Thank you so much for having me on. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we did recording it. Hopefully we can get Robin back for some post-migration updates later in the fall. Next time on Fake Episode 10, we talk with Aubrey Courageant about steps you can take to support birds and other plant and animal species local to you by ridding your property of invasive species and planting indigenous ones. Tune in to find out just how little the podcast crew knows about plant and animal biology. Next time.